Peace and blessings be upon you. Welcome to the Ta'lif Podcast, a space where we aim to provide content and connect our spiritual hearts with community, love, service, and prophetic wisdom. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Inna alhamda lillahi na'hamaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'gfiruhu wa nasta'hdiuhu. وَنَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنْ شُرُورِ أَنفُسِنَا وَمِنْ سَيِّئَاتِ أَعْمَالِنَا فَمَنْ يَهْدِهِ اللَّهُ فَلَا مُضِلَّ لَهُ وَمَنْ يُضْلِلْ فَلَا هَادِيَ لَهُ وَأَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهُ وَحْدَهُ لَا شَرِيكَ لَهُ وَأَشْهَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا عَبْدُهُ وَرَسُولُهُ So Imam Ghazali begins, he says ثُمَّ عَلَمْ ذِنَّوْ he said, know that being sincere in your spirituality, and he uses the word to so woof, right? This is a very controversial, very polarizing term. Some people refer to themselves as Sufis. Some people do not. We are not going to debate the merits or demerits of referring to yourself as Sufi or not. For the purpose of this session, just know that the term Sufi here refers to a person of great sincerity. This is what he's referring to. He says, sincerity in your religious commitment is made up of two essential characteristics. The first component he mentions is istiqama, being morally upright. Notice that he did not mention anything about miracles. He did not mention anything about your spiritual state, what you feel, uh, things you see in your dreams, just being a good person. This is what he means by istiqama. You know, I've told this story a lot of times, but it's one of my favorite stories that I've heard from my teachers that, uh, there was a session about spirituality taking place. And the sheikh was teaching about what's called kharqul ada. Kharqul ada refers to a break in the regular or natural chain of events. Right? And there's a lot of khawariqul ada when something unusual happens in the cosmos. If that unusual thing happens at the hands of a prophet, we call it a miracle. If that unusual thing happens at the hands of a righteous woman or a righteous man, we call it a karama. But if that unusual or miraculous occurrence happens at the hands of a wicked person, we call it istidraj, right? Remember, even the Dajjal will be able to perform miraculous feats. But the sheikh didn't make it that far in the lesson. He only got to mu'ajizat, miraculous occurrences that happened at the hands of the NBA and the Rusul, the prophets and the messengers. And he got to karamat, miraculous occurrences that happened, at the hand, that happened at the hands of righteous people. And there was a sister in the classroom. And she's like, sheikh, sheikh, before I embraced Islam, I was a witch. Everybody in the room was like, yo. And she said, I attended a conference of witches and warlocks. 
I actually did not know prior to this story that a warlock is the male equivalent of a witch. I attended a conference of witches and warlocks. And then I will never forget, the conference was in Geneva, Switzerland. That's where the conference was uh, held. And she said, the highest ranking member of our assembly, when he wanted to change positions in the room, he would just levitate from one place to another place. And I was thinking the same thing that you're thinking, sister. You got to check the expiration date on your guacamole. Because, you know, you, right? Those brownies that you've been eating are not just uh, hostess or, uh, you know, it's not just sea salt on those. And then she added, I have never had any experiences with external stimuli. I have never used hallucinogenic drugs. I saw this with my own eyes and I am a healthy woman. How do you explain this? And the sheikh said, well, if you go out to the airport, you'll see people flying around all over the place. People of true spirituality are not impressed by miraculous occurrences. You know what impresses them? Good character. Istin karma, uprightness. All kinds of people can do all kinds of things in the khalq of Allah. What impresses me is not a person flying through the sky or walking on water or being supposedly in two places at once or what impresses me is a person that fulfills her oaths, keeps his promises, is good to his wife, good to her husband, takes care of her children, good to his colleagues, good to his neighbors. This is what impresses me. Not a person that can, you know, fly. I said, good to his children. And boy, it's difficult. Why you walk? Why you just walk in front like that, Josh? I remember uh, my friend, Dr. Bilal Ware, he told me a story about the great Sheikh Ahmed Ubamba. And he said that Sheikh Ahmed Ubamba was being imprisoned on a French uh, military barge, a French ship. And he asked if he could pray. And the French authorities told him, no, it was Asr time. The time for Asr, Han al-Waqt, li Salat al-Asr. The time for Salat al-Asr came and he asked if he could pray. And they said, no. So the story goes, he took his sajada, he took his prayer mat, he rolled the prayer mat onto the Atlantic Ocean. He made Salat al-Asr, rolled the prayer mat up, got back on the boat. Now you're probably thinking, man, if he could do that, why was he in prison? That's what I was thinking. But I was shocked. And I wanted to know all of the details about how did he do this? And, and he said, you see, that's our problem. You're impressed that he made the prayer on water. You should be impressed that he made the prayer on time. You see, that's instant karma. See, we want to know he, he made the prayer on water. Oh, man, he made the prayer on time. That's Istian Kama. So the first thing that Ghazali says, true spiritual excellence and sincerity, Istian Kama. 
being a good, upright person. Somebody came to the Prophet وسلم, and he said, Ya Rasulullah, what's the best deed that I can do? And the Prophet وسلم, said, Qul, la ilaha illallah, thumma Say there is nothing worthy of worship except God and be a good person. Just like, sounds like something your grandmother would say, right? Sounds like something your grandfather would say, right? Something your auntie would say, right? He didn't say this and jihad, peace Say there is nothing worthy of worship except God. Then be a good person. Be an upright person. Right? And this is where the focus of true spirituality always lies. In our states, our ahwa. How are you? Sometimes you run into those people and the only thing they want of the path is that which is sensational. It's like, yo, let's talk about those men and women that could levitate, those people that could fly. Let's talk about, let's talk about, you know, uh, let's, you know, let's, let's sit around telling stories about our mashaykh. You know, one time my sheikh was in Indonesia in the zoo and a lion broke out of his cage and my sheikh said, Bismillah, here kitty kitty and took the lion back into his cage. Oh, wow. MashaAllah, it's amazing. I'll tell you something better than that. My sheikh was once in two places at once. He was sitting in my room and then he looked at me and he said, the messenger of Allah gives you salam. And I said, He's here? No, I'm here, but I'm also in Medina. Whoa! MashaAllah, I'm not. All of these things are within the realm of the mumkinat. This is where the study of aqidah is useful. Somebody tells you something like that, you say it's possible. But this is not what makes a person a good person that they take lions and pull them into cages or they're at two places at one time or they fly or they levitate. You know, I, I was in Yemen and one of the brothers said, last night I was coming home from the masjid and I saw one of the mashaykh flying over the masjid. I said, subhanAllah. I said, what happened? He said, I looked at him. What did he do? He looked back at me. What did you say? I said, salam alaikum. What did he say? He said, Walaikum Salaam. <laughs> I'm like, really? Right? And then somebody else said an even more impressive story. You want to know the deepest thing that happened? The person that they were talking about, this is Allahu Akbar. The person they were talking about, that he flew, he actually walked up as they were having this conversation. Stop telling so many stories and let your stories tell you. These people you're talking about, I guarantee you, any spiritual haqiqah, any true reality they gained, they didn't gain it because they sat around telling stories. They gained it because they were good people, because they prayed in the middle of the night and they gave from their wealth to help the less fortunate. They served their mothers. They served their fathers. They were reliable friends. They were good spouses to their partners. They were good parents. That's how they became what they were.
not sitting around telling stories like you guys are telling stories. So Imam Ghazali says, the first, you know, khisla, the first characteristic of sincerity in your spiritual striving is istiqamah, being upright. The second characteristic, and this is going to be controversial. I'm expecting a lot of questions around this. Leaving people be. What he means by that? Being someone that does not expect anything of anybody. Now, this goes against the logic of how we talk about relationships. We talk about reciprocity. We talk about mutuality. We talk about, you know, for us, relationships are about accountability, reciprocity, mutuality. Here, he's saying sincerity in your spiritual striving is not expecting anything from anybody. So that, I'll answer the question on the way home, sir. I'll answer the question on the way home, inshallah. So that if you are in relationship with somebody and they do something disappointing, this does not mean that you become completely stoic. Like, I don't feel disappointment. I don't feel anger. I don't feel frustration. I don't feel betrayal. No, what it means is that you accept this from them as an extension or an expression of their human weakness. One of your friends betrays you. You say, he's a human being. She's a human being. Somebody that you love lets you down. I'm sure she did her best. I'm sure he did his best. That doesn't mean that you have to stay in that relationship in the same way, but that the actions of people don't weigh so heavily on your heart. Meaning you allow them their own spiritual struggles. I remember reading this for the first time many, many years ago, and it made me think about a lot of the resentment that I had been carrying toward my father. Don't mean to get so personal and so deep, but not in this book, but in another book, they talked about leaving people be. My father really, really disappointed me. Your father's about to disappoint you. Don't get over it. My father really, really disappointed me not being there for me. Not being there for me. It was very disappointing to me. And for a long time, I harbored great resentment and great grief about that. Imam Ghazali is saying, let it go. Doesn't mean that you're stoic. Doesn't mean that you don't feel anything, but you let it go as the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that it's what Allah decreed. It was the best they could offer in their fallible, fallen, flawed humanity. And I accept it, man. You will make the decision whether or not you want to forgive and reestablish the relationship or forgive and just step back. But you don't hold this, this, this weight, like this person did this to me. They hurt me. And 
finding a way to be relieved of that. Hey, you know, she cheated on you. He cheated on you. That was the best that they could do. They're human. It's time to move on. Very, very easy to say. Very difficult to practice. And this is why Imam Ghazali mentions it as one of the characteristics of spiritual excellence. Letting people be. It's okay. It's okay. He continues. He said, whoever is upright and is excellent in her character and deals with people on the basis of helm. The word helm in Arabic means forbearance, to be patient. You know, the Prophet وسلم, of all of the characteristics that define him, some scholars say Hilm, he was Halim, he was forbearing, he was long-suffering, meaning he could tolerate someone's bad character or someone's bad company longer than anybody else. This is what made him him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So these stories that you've heard since Sunday school, these are real stories. Like that the Prophet ﷺ had a neighbor that would dump trash on his doorstep every day. This is how the neighbor disposed of their trash. Here, you take this. And the Prophet ﷺ would just come out of his house and clean up the trash. One day he comes out of his house, he doesn't see the trash there. Many of us, we come out of our house, we don't smell this, this, you know, disgusting smell of trash. We would be delighted. The Prophet ﷺ said, I don't see the trash today. Maybe something happened to him. Maybe something is wrong. I don't see the trash. Maybe something is going on. He knocks on the door, he inquires. I came out of my house today, I didn't see trash. I was worrying if something was wrong with you. This is your messenger. These are not, this is not apologist Islam. These are not stories fabricated and formulated in the 21st century. These are ancient, rigorously authenticated stories about the Prophet I answered the question in the car. I didn't see trash on my doorstep and I was worried that something was wrong. The son said, yeah, as a matter of fact, my father might be in his dying moments. He might be on his deathbed, which is probably why he didn't go out and dump the trash on your porch. The Prophet ﷺ went, inquired about his neighbor. How are you? Just upon seeing this forbearance, the man said to his son, accept the religion of Abu al-Qasim. This was the kunya of the Prophet ﷺ, because this is not the behavior of a liar. See, this is the forbearance of the Prophet ﷺ. People dumped camel entrails on him. He was accosted by his people. Attempts on his life were made. They say at the Battle of Uhud, 
the Prophet ﷺ, he had a dir'a. The word dir'a in Arabic is a shield. And he was holding the shield. You know, one of the most interesting things about the Prophet ﷺ in battle is that he did not fight from like a command post. He would be in the ranks with other troops. Sometimes the Sahaba would say, whenever we saw the fighting, wherever it was most fierce, this is where you would see the messenger of Allah. So he's there with other troops. He has a dir'a, he has a shield. They got so close, the Quraysh got so close to the Prophet that someone took the shield and pushed it into his mouth, right? So they took the hilt of their sword and pushed the shield into his mouth. It cracked three of his teeth and it made his gums start bleeding. And as his mouth was bleeding, he was catching the blood, not allowing it to fall to the earth. And the Sahaba, in the midst of battle, they said, this is, what are you doing? And the Prophet ﷺ said, no people sheds the blood of their prophet except that God punishes those people. I don't want this to happen to them. I don't want this to happen to them. Then the prophet said, they're fighting us and we are upon God's truth. They don't know what they're doing. This is hell. This is forbearance. They don't know what they're doing. They're trying to kill us. They don't know what they're doing. He's catching the blood so that it doesn't fall upon the ground. Right? This is forbearance. Imam Ghazali is saying, if you want to be a person of spiritual excellence, start dealing with people on the basis of forbearance. Amen. I forgive you. I accept you. You know, once a group of students were sitting with Dr. Omar Farooq Abdullah. Hafidhullah, may Allah preserve him. And he said something to the effect of as you get older, and your dealing with people becomes more prolonged, you will inevitably encounter more disappointment. Inevitably. From the people you love. If God blesses you, you will be able to countenance that disappointment or you will be able to see that disappointment through a prism of mercy. That's hard. This person let me down, man. This person betrayed me. This is supposed to be my ace. He played me. She was supposed to be my BFF. I can't believe she said that about me. But you can see that through a prism of mercy. And that doesn't mean, you know, hey, if you stole from me, I'm going to leave my wallet out in front of you again. No, 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 no. I'm from out south. You get me once, that's, you never get me twice. But the fact that you did it, I don't know what was going through your mind at the time. And I don't know if I had been in a similar situation. Maybe I would have done the same. I don't know. I don't know. I just pray that Allah doesn't put me in a situation where I would have to take anything that's not mine. But people that are in that situation, I, I don't know, right? And you refrain from, you know, summary judgment. 
You can look at the act and say that was bad. But looking at the person, again, I don't know. You know, it was a brother. And uh, I, I saw this brother over the weekend, but he told me that maybe the craziest story I had ever heard in the Muslim community. He said he was sitting in the mosque and he said at this time he was really out there bad, you know, having a, a really um, tough bout with heroin addiction. He said he was sitting at MCC and he said a jama'ah, a group of Muslims came into MCC and with them was the one and only Jermaine Jackson, the brother of Michael Jackson. Jermaine Jackson, the brother of Michael Jackson, used to do the work of da'wah and tabligh. He used to go out in, in Jamaat, Jermaine Jackson. And he said that, this is his, these are his words. He said that, that when Jermaine Jackson came into the masjid and sat his shoes on the shelf, these were the most beautiful shoes he had ever seen in his life. <laughs> he said, but these were the most beautiful shoes I had ever seen in my life. And he said, right there, I formed an intention to steal the shoes. He said, as soon as I saw the shoes, I said, oh, I'm cuffing these. I'm stealing them. I am definitely stealing those shoes. Hold on, son. I'm going to take these shoes. I'm going to sell them and I'm going to buy me a bag. This is, this is what is about to happen. And he said that Jermaine Jackson could sense that maybe he wanted to steal the shoes. And he said that Jermaine just kept asking him, my brother, is there anything I can do for you? I mean, if you need any help, the only thing you need to do is ask me. Is there anything, is there anything you need? Do you need something? And he said, just that act of generosity and tenderness filled him with so much shame that not only could he not steal his shoes, he said that was the beginning of him wanting to change his life. Something like that. And then he started to turn it around. I saw him a complete 180, sober. Now I think three or four years. At that time, he had very, very bad cataracts. He had gone blind. He had fallen off the L train platform three or four times. And he was having a, just a, he was just in a, a miserable, miserable position. And we were having lunch over the weekend and he said, you know, Obey, even before the encounter I had with Jermaine and all of that, you would see me around the masjid, know that I was up to no good, know that probably, you know, eight, 10 hours before that, I was sitting somewhere with a spike in my arm. But you were one of the people that didn't seem to give up on me, didn't seem to, to judge me. That meant the world to me at that time. This is what Imam Ghazali is talking about. Dealing with people on the basis of helm. You don't know what's going on with them. You don't know what brought them to the place that they find themselves. You don't know. 
doesn't mean that you accept disrespect or you accept a person mistreating you, but yo, you know, um, my sister Mecca Ali, she said to me once, we were in a class and I forget where she got the quote from, but she said, we should be impressed at the burdens that people carry and not how they carry them, right? Wow, you, 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 you have to carry that, wow. I don't know how I would be if I had to carry that, right? He continues, Imam Ghazali continues. He said, going back to uprightness, what it means to be an upright person, it is sacrificing what your um, appetites like for the sake of your soul. That's instant karma. But he says, and yefdiya. Another way to think about being morally upright is your ability to sacrifice your appetites for what benefits your soul, right? So I want you to think about kind of the framework that he's mentioning there. There are things that you enjoy in the short term. They, they satisfy your appetites but they're not good for your soul, right? And there are things that are difficult for you in the short term, but they're good for your soul. Istiqamah or being upright is the ability to choose that which is good for your soul, even if your appetites don't like it. That's challenging. You know, once the Prophet وسلم, he said, in an authentic hadith about Sayyidina Abu Bakr radiallahu If the Iman, if the faith of Abu Bakr was placed on one side of a scale and the faith of the entire Ummah was placed on the other side of, a, of, of the scale, Abu Bakr's faith would outweigh that of the entire community. And someone came to Abu Bakr and they told him about this. Yo, this is what the messenger of God said about you. What did you do? How did you attain such heights in your faith? The first thing Abu Bakr did was he said, praise be to Allah that has covered my sins from people. And he said, trust me, I know myself better than you know me. And God knows me better than I know myself. Oh Allah, I thank you for how you have covered me and I ask you to make me better than they think I am. Then he said, if I'm going to give you any practical word of advice, there's just two things. One, anytime somebody complimented me, I said exactly what I just said to you right now. That's the first thing, right? Humility. The second thing, if I had to choose between something that would benefit me in the life of this world 
or something that would benefit me in the akhirah. I always tried as earnestly as possible to choose that which would benefit me in the akhirah. This is what it was. So here Imam Ghazali is saying istiqama is to give up what's your appetites inclined toward for that which leads to spiritual elevation, that which benefits your soul. And it's difficult because appetites are strong. In many instances, appetites are uh, instinctual. You know, appetites are pre-rational, things that we want. We don't even know how to think about why we want them. We just want them. You know, uh, I believe it was Thomas Hobbes that said, when you begin, or it might've been Immanuel Kant, but one of them said, or it might've been Rousseau, I'm not sure. I don't know my philosophy as well as I should, but somebody said, some white guy said, when you begin to use your uh, uh, reason, this is just a post hoc justification for what you already want. See, when you're trying to explain to somebody, well, you see, this is just a post hoc justification for what the soul was inclining toward anyway. Who are you fooling? Do you really think you want that for the reasons you just mentioned? And that if those reasons were, were absent, you wouldn't want it anyway? Nah. You want it because you want it. He said, and having good character with people Oh, this is tough. He said, to have good character with people is not to treat them as, or to expect of them that they would treat you as you want to be treated. Not even to have that expectation. Like it is relinquishing the expectation of reciprocity. That I don't even expect you to be as good to me as I'm prepared to be to you. I don't even expect it. Like I don't even expect it. Like this, this, this runs so contrary to how we think about relationships, romantic relationships and friendships. Like I, like just think about what that would mean in a romantic relationship or friendship. Like as I'm doing something for you, the question of whether or not you would do it for me doesn't even cross my mind. Like when I'm loaning my friend, the question of will she do that for me doesn't even cross my mind. I don't even think about it, right? When some brother is calling, asking, would you take me to the airport at 4 a.m.? The question of, would he do that for me? Doesn't even cross Will Caldwell's mind. Doesn't even cross his mind, but he, he's gonna come and pick me up. This is what he's talking about, that you are not in this scorekeeping mode, right? Oh, well, I mean, I'm gonna call him to see how he's doing, but I wonder if he would ever call. If I didn't, would he call me? I'm gonna call her to see how she, would she call me? Right, I need help. 
do I feel as comfortable as she obviously feels asking me for help? Imam Ghazali is saying, you want to treat, you want to be excellent in your treatment of people, get that out of your mind. Let that go. And you know how you let it go? Understanding that it's not about what they give you. It's not about whether they would or wouldn't. God sees your act. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna Allah la yudi'u ajr al-muhsineen. This is the verse. Bismillah. This is the verse. Inna Allah la yudi'u ajr al-muhsineen. God never allows the, the, the reward of people that do good to be lost. You're not, anyone who thinks they're manipulating you or if you're involved in some relationship where things aren't exactly reciprocal, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. God is not going to allow your reward to be lost. Right? A man was, uh, I mean, sometimes even in simple things, right? You know, uh, the companions of the Prophet, والسلام, they were people. So once uh, somebody asks, you know, I see somebody and I want to say salam alaikum to them. But I don't know if they would say salam alaikum to me. The Prophet said, what? The one that initiates the salam, the sister that picks the phone up first, the brother that picks the phone up first, they know that they're free of arrogance. See, the person is saying, who are you supposed to be? Why would I say salam to you? You're not saying salam to me. Why would I call him? He doesn't call me. There could be some arrogance there, right? Then he says, Bel, ala But in terms of what they want from you, you don't expect them to give you what you want. But in terms of what they want from you, you try your best to deliver. I mean, this is, this is so counterintuitive, man. Nobody thinks about relationships like this now. In fact, I'm expecting many. What if you feel like you're being manipulated? What if you feel like you're being used? What if you feel like you're being taken advantage of? Mind you, he's saying, this is the path of spiritual excellence. But in terms of what you want from me, I try my best to give it to you. What I want from you, I don't, I don't even expect you to give it to me. Sounds unfair, right? I mean, let's be honest. Sounds unfair. Sounds unfair. What you want from me, I try my best to deliver. What I want from you, if you can't deliver, I, I, I don't hold you accountable. It's okay. Don't worry about it. He says... As long as this as long as this relationship does not entail violating the Sharia. And that's it. Right? Um, very difficult to walk that path. But what I can promise you is if one of us decides to adopt that kind of outlook with people we love, there's liberation and there's freedom in that. There's freedom in that. You know, you, know, you let me down, I forgive you. And I try, and I, and even then, I'm still not going to let you down to the best of my ability, right? 
أقول قول هذا وأستغفر الله لي ولكم ولسائر المسلمين وآخر دعوانا أن الحمد لله رب العالمين بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعاصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصل الحق وتواصل الصبر سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون والسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين Thank you for tuning in. Please consider becoming a monthly sustainer by joining 1,000 Hearts of Ta'lif and committing to give $3 a day to keep this work coming to seekers, youth, and newcomers to Islam. Sign up today at www.ta'leefcollective.org forward slash donate. We hope you enjoyed the variety of sessions available and hope you benefit immensely. Allah bless you and Allah bless your loved ones.